Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Believe in OK State podcast. I'm Meg Robinson, joined as always by Justin Southwell and Eve Batoba. Eve, welcome back. We missed yeah. you last week. I guess we can't say join as always since I Not wasn't always, I wasn't yeah. there last week. As I was saying, I was like, well, Eve wasn't here last week, but joined as <laughs> almost always by Justin and Eve. It felt good. It felt good being up. a fan. Yeah. It felt, it good, felt to good to just listen in, being a fan. Y'all held down the episode. I was like, man, it feels, you know, I, I feel like calling in on the show. Is there a way for me to do it? Maybe, maybe in the future we can figure out how to do that. But it was, it was good listening to you too. I feel like I literally blacked out while recording it and Justin and I stopped. And I'm like, what did we just talk about? I don't even know. Just kind of. <laughs> it's like that sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's like reading a book and you're like, what, what, what did I just read? I don't even or driving you have to go and back like, and How get here yeah you guys ever do that while driving just like how do i oh. get here no no when driving yeah, <laughs> I, I know that people happens. talk about that but i yeah, i don't know i kind of i like driving so i don't really zone out i'm very engaged it's when i'm going somewhere where i've been like if i'm driving to work it's like oh wait okay or like you know i don't know but yeah that happens <laughs> i it's like a 10 second zone out when i'm on a straight straight shot you're like oh wow i'm here already but. Never drive with Meg. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> this is how I get out of driving places by telling, saying I'm a Red terrible driver. Out. I digress. Exciting week for Oklahoma State. Huge announcement made earlier this week. Oklahoma State's getting another $120 million gift from the T. Boone Pickens Foundation. Pickens passed away September 11th, 2019. So four years later, and he is still contributing to the university. In total, he has donated close to $650 million to Oklahoma State. Wow. $63.7 million of this $120 will go to student scholarships, and $25 million will support the new OSU Human Performance Innovation Complex, which we've discussed on previous shows, that brand new facility that looks absolutely breathtaking. They were looking for money for that. So this is a great chunk towards that complex getting up and going. And it's also going to help Carson Creek. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Carson Creek incredible. needs his help. It's like one of the best right? small places in the world, but sure. Yeah. Keep it, keep it up there. It's good. Aren't you just inspired by Boone Pickens generosity? You know, I, I heard it said before one guy isn't going to come in and change the culture of an organization if the organization itself isn't willing to have the culture changed. So you could have all these players with all the right intentions saying that I'm going to be the person that changes the culture. But if Oklahoma State says, look, this is who we are, you know, we don't really want to spend a lot of money on facilities or recruiting. We don't really care about winning. Then who really cares? Right. T Boone Pickens 
is the cultural cornerstone at Oklahoma State. I mean, he had a vision of what this athletic department could be. And that vision, backed by his resources, really created buy-in from the leadership, from alumni, key stakeholders, and it trickled all the way down. And even now, after his passing, his legacy allows us to stay competitive athletically, academically, and it continues to add value to society. So I got to tell him once in person, and I hope he's still listening from above, but thank you, T. Boone Pickens. Legends never die. Mm, beautifully. Now, for the rest of the podcast, I have to try to you know, follow that up. That's really cool. Um, no, I mean, look. <laughs> hey, Boone Pickens, man, what he was able to do for Oklahoma State, you know, starting back in 2007, 2008, um, and then, you know, we were that first freshman class that got to experience the final facilities being done. Mm-hmm. Um, it allowed us to stay competitive. And I think that innovative spirit continues to live on even, you know, while he's you know, after his passing. So you can't say enough good things about his generosity and how much he loves Oklahoma State. There was probably, yeah, was, I'm trying to think back. So 2009, that was the first year that everything was open and that, Literally uh, in that bowl season, we went to the Cotton Bowl and played at the brand new AT&T Stadium, Dallas Cowboys. And I remember thinking, our locker room is nicer than the Dallas Cowboys. And that's kind of like around the same time that the arms race for the best facilities in the NCAA, that's when it all started taking off. And I think that Oklahoma State, with the facilities, along with the uh, uniforms, it really lended itself to be where, uh, you know, we, we put ourselves on the map. Um, we wouldn't be where we are today anywhere close without Boone Pickens' uh, financial aid. So much appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about a true catalyst. Got to love it. One of the other cool things about this donation is that they're also donating Pickens's personal and business archives to build a museum for his legacy as an entrepreneur and philanthropist. So the museum will be constructed inside the West End Zone of Boom Pickens Stadium. I didn't read anything about when it's happening, when it's set to be open. I know that there's the stadium is under construction at least this summer and next as they make changes to the seating. So it wouldn't shock me if they added this in after our upcoming season. But I think that's going to be so cool just to see some of that stuff. And I don't know if everybody, so again, I'm not from Oklahoma, did not go to Oklahoma state. He also donated a ton to the school of geology. Like there is a boom picking school of geology on campus as well. And I think that outsiders who are not as familiar with Oklahoma state, they are so like, Oh, the stadium, it's just athletics. No, no, no. He has donated a lot to academics as well on these scholarships show that oh my god yeah even if you drive around dallas downtown dallas you'll see the t boone pickens biomedical building at ut southwestern medical center you'll see uh, a children's center out there in fort worth like t boone's pickens's footprint and imprint is all over the state of texas it's all over the state of oklahoma i actually don't know that much about him growing up his biography so i'm actually interested in reading more about that and seeing what that's like in the museum so that's that is very exciting that'd be cool I don't know, like the other thing that, Meg, you were talking about campus and everything. I just remember kind of growing up, coming to OSC football games as a kid. Campus was always, in my opinion, just really beautiful. No subjective thing. You go there and it's like, you know, this is this is really nice. The football stadium was 
like kind of a joke and people were joking like this is like an erector set <laughs> and the way that it looks now is just classic fits right in with the camp the rest of the campus um really actually it kind of stands out as one of the more beautiful parts of campus now so all of that yeah all that money is has been put to good use one of my favorite yeah. things about Oklahoma State's campus is just the consistency across the board. You know, they're in the middle of building the new Ferguson building for agriculture. Um, they're, you know, I've seen new buildings go up in my short tenure here and it's so consistent and everything mm -hmm. fits right in where, I mean, I've been to plenty of college campuses and there are lots of college campuses around there where it's obvious what's new and what's old because like, oh, a new building, we're not going to give anything a facelift or we're not going to fit the facade of the, the look of campus. So yeah. that's one of my favorite things walking through Oklahoma State. It's just it's very uniform. <laughs> For sure. You know me, yeah. I love uniforms and uniformity. <laughs> In all seasons, that's winter, spring, summer, and fall. There's just a consistency every time that you're on campus. And it's one of the most beautiful campuses that I've ever been on. Putting you both on the spot right now. If you had not even this much money, but if you were able to donate money to any cause, or what is it that you love as much as Boone Pickens loves Oklahoma State that you would donate a significant chunk of money to? I mean, for it's like, it's just OSU athletics for me. Like it's kind of not fair because even if I got to be an oil tycoon, I still don't think I'd ever be able to reach $650 million to be able to just, ah, take it OSU. I love you that much. <laughs> but uh, OSU football, if I had to say um, anything outside of OSU athletics, uh, I'd probably, I, I really, um, I think like animal shelters and things like that, whenever they, you're able to do uh, that kind of volunteer work with a very limited budget and taking care of animals that have been abandoned and you're doing that out of the goodness of your heart, but you know, you just, you don't have the resources. I'd love to be able to just help out in, uh, in a way like that. And the only way that I have helped out before is just like, you know, adopting a dog or two here and there. So it's kind of like doing a very small part, but I'd love to be able to just yeah throw a hundred million dollars to help out with all the animal shelters across Oklahoma state. Yeah, it's that's actually a really unique question for me because I, I was born in Zaire, which is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I've seen the power of um, education and what education can do for individuals in um, a country that is still developing. So for me, it would be developing the education system in the Democratic Republic of Congo currently, as well as the athletic development, because I've seen the power that sports have to unify a country. We've seen it in South Africa with rugby. We've seen it in numerous other countries with running in Kenya and things like that. So developing the athletes, because Congo really does put out a lot of world-class athletes, but they don't have the infrastructure within the country to retain those athletes. So they go on to represent Spain and France and Belgium and all these other countries. But if you could keep everybody in, and actually allow them to feel that sense of pride and nationality for the country. It would only do, do great things. I've actually hosted two different cousins that won the educational lottery out of Congo and stayed with my family um, whenever they came over to Texas, went on to become engineers and nurses. So I know the potential that 
exists within the country. It's just a matter of getting the proper accreditation and the proper care and funding to go towards the country and let these, uh, you know, these diamonds in the rough, uh, no pun intended, come out and shine. So that would be mine. What do you got, Meg? Uh, well, you guys are both really good, like helping the people answers. Um, wow. Uh, my response was, I was just, Look, I don't, like, you can't, you can't ask the question and not have something lined up. No, I have answers, but like, you know, I mean, after, damn it, Eve again, Justin, this is why he can't come on the show because he has his <laughs> boon and then he has this, I'm a really good person and I would help my home country. And I'm like, I would buy a sports franchise and just like, dominate. Uh, yes. like Rebecca on Ted Lasso. Like I would, yeah be heard you know why can't i own F you'd be helping your community i would absolutely providing yeah. jobs all that or That's i also idea. i love i love pigs um so let's go I, back to the sports franchises real quick because yeah i was gonna say pig sanctuary i just going to say a pig sanctuary but we can go back to sports franchises go back okay I, well i was wondering like if it were just you could buy any franchise would i mean what sport what city what are we looking at here Do you have if any i could buy yeah, it would be like the Patriots, you know. Mm -hmm. Gonna kick the Kraft family out of there. Or I would buy. I mean, I I love Robert. He's getting he's getting up there. But um, or I would buy. I think it'd be kind of cool to own like professional league lacrosse. Like lacrosse is on the rise. So I think it'd be as a former lacrosse player. I think it'd be kind of cool to uh, own one of those franchises or like an XFL team or something that's not quite yeah. as like top tier, but like on the rise or again i also i played soccer too so it'd be kind of cool like new england revolution and you get to like work in the office next to bob craft that'd be kind of cool they all play at gillette so yeah hey nice. xfl lost about 60 million dollars in 2023 so maybe you can get them out of the red you know bring them back in the black. 650 mil first but yeah soon also come, soon come. If, if we were talking about like schools and what i would donate to my school i would uh our lacrosse field was, I mean, my college campus was in the middle of Boston, like the heart of Boston. Our common was like the Boston common, the public garden. We didn't have a campus. So we had to walk a mile to like in, in inner city Boston to our field, which was fine. I didn't mind that, but I would like revamp the field, make it more of a, like a sports complex. Mm. That's actually a really cool story to tell, like your future kids. When you could be like, back in my day, I used to have to walk one mile in order to get to my field. And then after a full hard day of practice, had to pick up all my stuff and walk a mile back just I to. Did. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a real story. Hey, I don't know, Eve. It kind of felt like that whenever we practiced on the other side of Gallagher Iva on those uh, grass fields. Oh my Bro, God. We had to walk so far. I mean, it wasn't a mile. It felt but... So far. Yes, we had to, is... If we had practice at four, I would literally leave at two because we'd have to like, I'd leave my apartment at two to get to campus to meet my team. Then we'd walk like the 20-ish minutes to practice. And then I'd have to go to treatment with the athletic training staff and do that and warm up. And like if practice was at four, I'm sure it was the same for you. You're not warming up at four. You are ready to go at four. So really right. warm up start at 3.30 and then practice would go to like six-ish. And then gotta walk back but when i when i moved off campus we'd walk and there was a t like our subway boston subway system and i would walk past it and it would take me to the stop that was closest to my apartment so i'd be like all right guys and i'd just hop on the orange line and head home <laughs> yeah no no hey those practice scripts are very detailed and and can get pretty pretty intense so i don't know what it's like in lacrosse but at least in 
in football, that was the case, right? With Coach Gundy and Coach Glass pretty much manning the script and you mess anything up, it's like, all right, everybody run back to your previous station and get your ass over here to this next one. Like, it was, like the uh, period? You're talking about like, their, like the time period? The period, yeah. Yeah. No, we didn't have that. It was kind of like whatever the coach wanted to do. <laughs> so we didn't Boston, have. Yeah. The, uh, printing intellectual them. elite, the academic elite out there in the Northeast. They have other <laughs> things to worry about. I wouldn't say that. We just didn't, you know, you don't practice. But football is the only sport I've ever seen practiced through periods. Period. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where, like, if you're doing, you know, we would do a lot of 3v2s. And then if, like, offense was getting, like, you know, obviously, obviously they're the three. And if they can't score on two people consistently, it's like, we're doing this till you get it right. And then vice versa. It's like, all right, defense, you need to stop something. Or we're doing this. Or we do a lot of clear drills you know, working the ball up the field. And it's like, if you don't get four cons consecutive passes, we're starting over. So mm. lots of repetition. <laughs> Man, I hope Oklahoma State can get a lacrosse team someday. They had a club one for a while. Yeah, I knew about that one, but that'd be dope. Yeah. That'd be... Volleyball not, would be cool too. Not very popular in this part of the country though. So, but... More to football. Speaking of practice, guys, players are back. It's almost that time of year. We had some recruits here this weekend with some of our players, and our new DC, Brian Nardo, has made a little bit of a splash on the recruiting trail. He's landed some oh, two yeah. pretty, I mean, pretty big recruits. David Cabongo and Landon Cleveland have both committed to Oklahoma State recruiting class of 2024. Cabongo, they're both DBs. Cabongo, though, had offers from Texas, Texas Tech, Kansas, and Utah, just to name a few. I put Kansas in there. I know they're not on the same playing level, but they're still a Big 12 school, and he chose us. He's, I mean, Huge. His, as a junior, 64 total tackles, 41 of those were solos, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, two INTs. He's told reporters that he likes the way Oklahoma State practices and plays, and he really thinks the coaching stability with Gundy is a big factor in his decision. I love that. I think those are the kind of guys that Gundy would, wants on his team, that wants to recruit uh, guys that are here for, I mean, here to have fun, obviously, and play football, but it's a very like business type of you know, just yeah. we're being about our business. Uh, we know why we're here. We're all bought in. That's a big thing with Gundy is everybody buying in. And it sounds like this guy doesn't even need that much more convincing. He's already coming, like, ready to go. So, uh, Gundy, yeah, he'll eat that up. Loves, loves players like that. David Kabongo. It sounds like a that sounds like a Congolese last name. I'm going to just go venture out and say that he's Congolese. I'm pretty sure. But honestly, you know, as Justin said, it does become a lot more business. You know, all these things that he is saying when he's getting interviewed are great. I don't care about anything that he says. It's all going to be about what he does, right? If he comes in and he's, he says he's focused on locking in and playing and not the portal, well, then just lock in and play. And I think the best way that you can fit in the locker room, as a freshman especially, is to be quiet, observe who the, who the, who the leaders in the locker room are, and then figure out what you can take away from them and add to your own repertoire and you just work. That's it. Like just put in the work and you'll get places. Like, for example, speaking of business, Justin, whenever I was a freshman, there was a senior on the team. He was a team captain and he was a leader in the locker room. He wore number 20. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, Andre, Andre Sexton. Sexton. 
That's right. And Andre had been balling ever since he was a freshman. So I knew who he was. But more impressive than his play on the field was the way that he carried himself. Just always well put together, incredible people skills. And like we'd finish up practice and you'd see him getting dressed, putting on his collared shirt, nice pair of jeans. Later that day, he was out in the community speaking in front of a couple hundred people. And I just remember as a freshman saying to myself, that's how I want to be. Like, that's how I want to be as a leader. That's how I want to be around people. And that's just so important to do as a freshman. And that stuff carries a lot of weight whenever, um, you know, you go about your collegiate career. I felt the same way about Andrew McGee. This guy, kind of guy that I looked up to. Uh, very similar. Of course, he was a junior, I think, whenever we started. But same impact. Uh, like you said, Eve, I mean, I'm not going to come in here, especially as a walk-on and a freshman, just, you know, trailblazing my own way it's like dude follow like what works and look for the leaders and and just follow that yeah yeah the best thing you can do is pressure so pivoting before we get to cleveland a little bit did you guys ever get starstruck by your teammates like you're talking about these guys that you kind of look up to and wanted to be and then you know on the nfl level you heard it a lot with some of the younger guys coming the last two or three years and with tom brady it's like oh I haven't even been alive as long as you've been in the NFL. And there's that starstruck because here are your idols that have been playing for five, 10, 15 years And college. isn't quite like that, but there's still guys. I mean, you look at Kate, I'm sure there are guys who are in high school now who look up to Caleb Williams and who, you know, look up to Kendall Daniels and look up to Marvin Harrison jr. You know? Yeah. For me, it was Zach Robinson uh, just being the quarterback leader of the team. He had been, you know, it was like right after he'd been on the cover of sports illustrated uh, whenever I got got on the team, I was like, dang, this is this is that dude right here. And you would think it'd be the same with Des Bryant, just based on his, you know, star power. Uh, he just he's also been on the cover of Sports Illustrated. But I played receiver and he kind of like welcomed me in just like as another guy right off the bat. He's super nice, super genuine. And that eased all of that right away. With Zach, I didn't really like feel confident enough to go talk to him <laughs> so it always just kind of lingered like really through the whole season i was like dang it's, it's zach robinson bro wasn't des just the best he whenever i got there he was yeah. the first person to say something to me so you know whenever you start practicing ncaa has these rules that you have to go a couple of practices without your helmet on and then a couple of practices without pads and then you know you gradually you get to put on more stuff well i remember the first practice that i got there you know the team had already been practicing so i was out on the sideline just no helmet no anything and Daz was the first person that comes up to me and he goes what's up bro hey what position you play yeah where you from so you know just naturally and you i'm like should i call him mr bryant or is it is it dad <laughs> <laughs> he's only a couple of years older than me but in my head i'm like yo this is Daz freaking bryant so, yeah, no, I, I felt some of that. But at the same time, he knows how to just break that ice and just make you feel like you're part of the team. And he did yeah. a great job of that. Another guy for me was Kendall Hunter. Uh, in my like Kendall Hunter was the seventh. I remember he was seventh in the nation in rushing yards the year that I came in in the program. And we knew that the guy was going to go to the league. But whenever you get there and you saw his work ethic and you're like, oh, wow, this is what it takes to get to the level of a Kendall Hunter. It's just somebody that you admire. The entire time you're there, you just admire him from afar. And then, you know, we grow to be friends as, you know, we were, we're teammates. But that was a guy who, you know, that star stutteredness was, uh, was definitely evident. We're going to talk about Des in just a little bit. You guys are teasing our next little topic. But before we get to Des, 
I want to just quickly talk about some of Landon Cleveland's comments. He's another top DB in Texas. He was initially going to make his announcement this Friday, June 23rd, but after spending time with Lyric Rawls, Kendall Daniels, and Ty Williams, he made it official. He said, those are the types of guys I want to be around. He really liked the DB room. How does a comment like that help debunk the terrible culture rumors that have been kind of running rampant since the transfer portal started this past off season. You know, from a culture standpoint, it doesn't bunk anything for me because there's still a lot to be seen. You don't know the strength of your mission, vision, and values until you're going through the ebbs and flows of the season. So it's a good sign. However, that, um, you know, he, he's committing because of the players. And I think that's the best part about it. Like a coach's yeah. greatest recruiting tool is having guys in the locker room that can ball and are culture carriers at the same time. So if a safety is coming in and he's around other safeties and another safety possesses a great deal of your program's knowledge, um, they're an embodiment of the values that you've laid out. And you know, there's someone that other people want to be around, then that safety is indispensable because of how great a re recruiting tool that he is. Yeah, that's a good point, Eve. It's a good call out. I think also, though, uh, we can add in Coach Nardo to this, um, replacing Derek Mason. And um, I think it just speaks. It's it's like a testament to his ability to uh, recruit, get players to buy in, um, committing to Oklahoma State. And then just yeah. seeing, obviously, it's like you've seen Kendall Daniels play, but you haven't seen yeah. me in this position as a coach yet, but there's a lot of upside for it. And uh, I, I just like that he was able to convince him early on. Like you said, Meg, he wasn't going to commit for another couple of days and here we go. We're ready to go. So yeah, it's um, not to say that that couldn't happen with Derek Mason. I'm not saying that at all, but with Nardo kind of comes this clean slate uh, and it, it really kind of, you build on the foundation of, of cowboy culture, but you add in Nardo and what he brings to the table. Yeah. I mean, you got to think that part of his recruiting pitch is like, yo, you're my first recruiting class. You're my guy, right? Like we're coming in, we're going to yeah. build this thing with you as a part of the picture. I've said it before with this type of defense we're running, there's a lot of room for creativity, right? You can go from a three, three, five to a three, four defense without any substitutions. You can get very creative with stunts and blitzes because the defense oftentimes gives the illusion that you have a light box, maybe one or two standing linebackers. Um, and then of course, if you're a safety specifically, you know, you can be an extra safety that, is intentionally there to help against the run, or you can rob against any crossing routes in the middle. There's just so much that you can do with this defense. And I can't imagine being a DB hearing from Nardo and not thinking to myself, man, this is going to be a lot of fun playing in this defense. So I'm excited about what he's building on that side. Of and, and I'll say this too, if it's going to be mimicking in a way Iowa state and their defense, it's nice that you can come to Oklahoma state or it's a, lot, it's a lot closer to Texas where your home is. You don't have to go all the way up to Iowa State, but you have the opportunity to put similar results on the field and to stand out in that defense on your way to the NFL. So a long game, long picture. Uh, that's where I see it. But you got to get there. You got to gotta have the results. So <clears throat> Cleveland also had offers from Penn State, TCU, Baylor, Michigan. Those are not – the extent of his offers, he had plenty more, but those are the ones that stood out to me. And you have TCU and Michigan who are coming off a college football playoff appearance. So Sheesh. for Cleveland to say, 
I'm riding with Coach Nardo, who essentially is unproven in Division One football. And I've heard a lot of great things about him. People are saying that he's a stud, and I hope that it's all true. But like you've both said, it's clean slate. You don't really know which way it's going to trend, but the fact that recruits seem to like him and Cleveland said he liked that Nardo was not just about football and that he cared as a person as well, but that he yeah. also likes a DB room. I'm pretty, I'm honestly, I'm really excited to see what our defense does this year because I've heard a lot of praise for coach Nardo and maybe he is sort of not to use the term for a second time in the show, but a diamond in the rough. And, you know, we might have the assistant coach of the year on our staff. Gunny knows how to find him. Gundy yeah. knows how to find them. So, yeah, not surprised. I like, though, that we – so this is, you know, commitment, but the win over TCU in this recruiting battle is huge, in my opinion, because they just got done with this college football playoff uh, yeah. run. They have historically a, a very good defense, and it's in his backyard in Texas. Like, But the fact that we're yeah. able to draw him from that is – I think Nardo is doing something right. So major props there. Yeah, and TCU currently has the number one recruiting class in the Big 12 Conference. So to get that little win over them in the offseason feels good. Nice. Well, you guys both mentioned Des Bryant. And no, there's nothing crazy, no breaking news revolving him. However, he did share a video response to someone on social media. They asked him, where does he think he ranks among OSU wide receivers all time. Des posted a video response. It was about two minutes long. And he said that he doesn't care about rankings. He cares about coachability. You guys both just said he was one of the most approachable guys on the field. Great human being. How do you, how do you assess what Des is saying about, it's not about where you rank. It's about how coachable you are. Well, I think it just kind of is a testament to where his mindset is. It's, it's kind of refreshing to see. I feel like a lot of people they're always talking about, you know, I want to be the best. I am the best, uh, whatever the case is. And this guy is, uh, and I know that he like he really looked up to Kobe Bryant, for example, and Kobe was known for elevating the play of the guys around him. And I think that based on the way that Des carries himself, he's very much about that life doing what he can to elevate the play around him. And, uh, you know, just some of the things I've seen, he's, he's just so passionate about football, um, but he's also, he's passionate about people and others. And that's why, you know, we've seen from time to time, he'll get very riled up on the sidelines and it's like, you know, Des acting a fool on the sidelines and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, Tom Brady will go and do the same thing and we give him praise for it. So, you know, I, I just, I feel like I never really understood that. I was always, uh, I took that in a positive light. It's like, dude, if Des Bryant yelled at me, then he cares about me. So, you know, that's where I'm with it. And the fact that he's, uh, he cares about coachability. It's like, I want, he wants other people to care about coachability. He's trying to coach people. He has, you know, his own methods for that. But uh, yeah, I just think that that just is a testament to, now I will, well, I'm going to let you answer first, Steve, but I want to, uh, kind of come back around to it as far as where he ranks as one of the best receivers in Oklahoma State history. But go ahead. Yeah, from from a ranking standpoint, I mean, gosh, it's it's so hard to quantify how much Des means to like the OSU faithful and OSU community. I think it's just different when you talk about Des. He's one of those people who when you watch him play, 
it was impossible not to feel something, right? Like as a receiver, he was dynamic. As a returner, electrifying. Like people don't even talk about how good of a returner he was in college. That's and that's for a guy that measured at 6'2", 220 pounds, right? He was on all the marketing, all the ads, all the promo videos whenever I got there. I remember watching him running next to a horse in a pregame video. <laughs> so it's, it's really hard to put into words. But Dez really made you feel like you could do more, like you had limitless potential. And maybe it's because of his upbringing. I don't know if y'all ever read the Rolling Stone article, the cover story that came out about him back in like August of 2015. But my goodness, you talk about his upbringing. He said himself that his life was a complete joke until he got to college. You know, crackheads in and out of his house, peanut butter and potato chips for dinner. His mom had him when she was 15 years old. And then look at what he was able to make out of his life throughout all of that adversity. So I believe that anybody that's an Oklahoma State football fan probably has Des Bryant in their top five favorite football players ever. And his passion, like Justin said, was undeniable. But watching him play football in that orange and black, yo, like that felt like poetry. It's hard for me to put, hey, he, him, Justin Blackman, Ty, he's no, he's no less than number two in my in my book. But Des Bryant is responsible for putting OSU on a map, like the current OSU on a map, because of what he made you feel whenever you watched him play. Justin, before you answer, mm -hmm. I want to bring up the point that there is a difference between being top five favorite and top five best. You yeah, know what I'm saying? true. Are you, and he's, you he belongs to everybody's top five favorite and best list, to be okay, honest with you. That was my question. I mean, obviously he's prolific yeah. on the field, but you were also talking about what he means to Oklahoma State. And he can absolutely be in both. But I just wanted to clarify, Eve, if you meant that he was favorite and the mo one of the most beloved or one of the best. And I, he obviously is one of the best to play here, but didn't know where you'd rank him there. Yeah, I mean, it, it was so funny, like just so interesting, like whenever you would watch him play and any time that OSU needed a play or you needed some type of bailout in 2008 and in 2007, it was just, yo, why don't you just throw the ball up? Like literally just just launch it in the air. He's going to go up and he's going to come down with it. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, you know, just throw it up to Des. He's going to come down with it. Like that stuff was so inspiring. And um yeah, I mean, Des is uh, by far the best athlete that I've ever been teammates with. He is the best athlete that has ever been my teammate. I say Justin Blackman is probably a better receiver. Des Bryant is the best athlete I've ever been teammates with. That's only because I was never teammates with Tyreek Hill, by the way. I think Tyreek Hill Tyree is, is a freak, but I was never his teammate. Des is the best athlete. I remember our specialists on Tuesdays. I don't know what just happened to Justin, but hopefully he jumps back I, <laughs> I think it was on Tuesdays, which was the hardest day of practice. Our specialists had what was called Des Bryant catch day. And Des Bryant catch day meant that whenever we were out practicing, they would go in their separate field, lay out the mat, and they would just do the most ridiculous catches that they could think of. I think I told us in the previous podcast, yeah. but like Des Bryant catch day, like people just have these Des Bryant memories that stick to their heads. One of my favorite ones is watching him and Parrish Cox going one-on-one -on -one against one another, right? Parrish Cox was, in my opinion, like he led the NCAA in passes deflected. So, you know, a real baller. So them going one-on-one -on -one, and he always had good coverage on Des, 
But for some reason, Des would always come down with the ball, and there was no telling how he was going to come down with the ball, whether it was one-handed, two-handed, mossing him over his head, behind his back. There was no telling. Des was going to come down with that ball, and it was just all inspiring. Justin, welcome back. Thank you. Yes, we've got some internet connectivity issues going on here in the great state of Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plains and wipes out your internet. But I'm back. Well, Eve. you're back and you're up. Where do you rank Des Bryant in Oklahoma State history? All right. This might be a little hot takey, but I'm going to put him at number one. And that's because <laughs> I think a lot of people will just. I think a lot of people would look at the numbers and say it's clear that it's Justin Blackman. But I believe if Des Bryant would have played that full 2009 season, that he would be right up there with him. Also, Des played with Zach Robinson in a Gunner Brewer type of Mike Gundy, Larry Fedora type of offense. offense Whereas yeah. if he played – in a Holgerson or a Munkin style offense with Brandon Whedon, Ugh. then just shut it down. Like <laughs> it's, it's over. Uh, that was one of the reasons I think that he was runner up in the Belitnikoff award to Crabtree from Texas tech. Cause Michael Crabtree benefited from that style of offense. But <laughs> I mean, if you look at just how great of a receiver Des Bryant is, I don't even think Justin Blackman would be mad. And I think he would probably say, yeah, put Des number one. Like, that's how good he was. Yeah. Yeah. I Justin, think Blackman would say the same thing. So you both are welcome on the show. We can debate this with you two. Happy to have <laughs> you anytime. My only counter to Justin is you can't work off these hypotheticals. Had he had this quarterback, had he played this whole season, because then how many people's careers would be different? I mean, everybody hypothetically could have won the Heisman last sure. year had he stayed healthy. Everything, yeah, everything changes whenever you bring hypotheticals into it. But, I mean, this is not that far of a stretch, realistically. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say it's really not because from a pure eyeball test, you could just see that this guy was different. Like, he was the person that stood out on every single football field that he was in. And that's not just a college. Even whenever he became a pro player, he still stood out on every single one of those fields the moment that he became a Dallas Cowboy. So you're just like, you know, how are you a man amongst other grown men? You know, not a man amongst boys, a man amongst other men. So yeah, it's 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 not too far of a stretch. But, Meg, I also understand where you're coming from because one of them is, you know, the proof is there. But then the other one you're kind of working off of, okay, here's what we've seen and hypothetically this could have happened. So I get it. I mean, it's hard to believe. So Justin Blackman had that huge streak. I don't remember what it was, 14 games of 100 yards, and one touchdown at least. And I just, you know, Des Bryant and that, and that offense. Had 19 I mean, touchdowns <laughs> in one season. Yeah, I mean, it's – and no offense to Zach Robinson, but, I mean, I think we all know that Brandon Whedon was by far the more talented arm quarterback, better passer. And, uh, yeah, just Des Bryant really had to kind of work for some of those jump balls, you know, going up and get it for – and to make Zach look a little bit better, <laughs> but Brandon Whedon, man, he'd be able to just just sling it in there. So, yeah, uh, it's it's pretty cool. But Eve, like you said, uh, the nobody really brings up 
how he was as a kick returner, punt returner. Uh, people kind of forget that, but at the same time, man, like whenever you really go back and think about it, I mean, that was, that was really good stuff. Like, um, man, it's been, it's been, a, I feel like a long time since we've had like a very threatening special teams, like a, you know, home run threat back there. Like we had with Des Bryant. Yeah, there was a two-year stretch where Oklahoma State special teams ranked the number one special teams in the country. Um, that was 07-08, I believe. And, of course, Joe DeForest was a special team coordinator who was a freaking beast at what he did. But you got to look at the two returners that we had on, on kickoff. You had Parrish Cox yeah, and Des Bryant. You're talking about speed, you're talking <laughs> about athleticism, NFL guys, all of that, starters in the NFL. And then as the punt returner, it was Dez until he, you know, he was suspended. And then Peacock took over as the punt returner there. But, yo, watching those two guys return to football, <laughs> yo, there was nothing like it. It don't, it don't even matter what you had from a blocking standpoint. Because some of those returns, right. like the blocking was jacked up. They made something happen out of nothing. And you were just, you know, you were watching it with a hard eye emoji face. Straight up. The deadliest combination of speed, elusiveness. Yeah, And like, man, I mean, Tyreek Hill, he had that speed, right? He just break away. He had a couple of punt returns, I think. Uh, Josh Stewart kind of had the elusiveness, not as much speed. And then you yeah. have kind of, I don't really know how to evaluate Presley. Um, he had a huge return in Bedlam 2021. But I, it's not the same feeling. Like whenever they're punting to Brennan Presley, I'm not thinking like, oh man, here we go. Like, I don't get the same feeling that I had whenever Des Bryant was back there or when Parrish Cox was back there. Um, so yeah, that's yeah, just yeah, it's different. When, uh, and, and, and that's what I talk about when it comes to the field, right? Like you have 60,000 fans, or well, I guess back then 45,000 fans are looking at you. His back is to the basketball ring, to Gallagher Iba. And the moment that the ball hits his hands, everybody was, oh, just holding their breath. It's going back to the house. Like you just every single time it's going to the house. And I think that's what felt so poetic about Des playing football because you knew about his upbringing and it always felt like he was running towards something that was bigger than himself, running towards success or outrunning his past, whether it was a route, whether it was running into the end zone, whether it was returning a kickoff. It just always felt bigger than Des. And that's what that, the emotions that surround Des are so much greater than what I felt with any other OSU athlete personally. Let us know in the comments what you all think. Is he the greatest Oklahoma State receiver of all time? Is he not? Is it someone else? If it's someone else, let us know who. I'm curious to see where everyone else ranks him. I think, personally, I would put Blackman 1, based on statistics, I'd put Blackman 1, Des 2. However, as far as impact on Oklahoma State and notoriety, as someone who, again, was on the East Coast during the Des college years, I know of Oklahoma State and I think Des Bryant. And that's sort of, no, I no. think that as far as what he means to this university, not that Blackman doesn't mean anything. No, that's not what I'm saying. But to East point earlier, star I just power. think that star power, notoriety, just that feeling I would put, I'd put Des. It's almost because like Justin Blackman, he had those numbers, but his personality was almost like, really humble about it and it's kind of like a detriment to his star legacy as a receiver at Oklahoma State but you know you can't fault him for that it's like of course Justin Blackman it's it really is like a 1A 1B 
situation in that regard. So. Yeah, it really is. Truly. Speaking of top players, congrats to Wyndham Clark on winning the 2023 U.S. Open this past weekend. Clark golf for Oklahoma State from 2012 to 2016. He held off Rory McIlroy by one stroke to win his first major. So golf claps, golf claps. Golf claps. And let's go, Ricky, Wyndham. You Ricky got it. Fowler. You got it oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Got, you know, got to shout out Ricky Fowler, too. He couldn't hold him off at the end, but he did also have a record breaking first round, shooting a 62, which is tied for the lowest ever round at a major. And this is really touching that Fowler went to the 18th green to give Clark a hug when he won. Clark lost his mom to breast cancer when he was here at Oklahoma State. And uh, Fowler told him, Your mom was with you. She'd be very proud. So that's just a really touching story from members of the Cowboy family. You got to love the Cowboy family, man. You know, one, one of my favorite things to read after the U.S. Open was that Wyndham Clark's made uh, three times as much money over the last six weeks than he did in the previous six years. So congrats to Wyndham Clark on becoming a multimillionaire um, after winning the U.S. Open and the Wells Fargo Championship. <laughs> Gotta love it. Yeah. And yeah, first back-to-back -back months, first PGA Tour, first major. So we're a Not golf bad. school. Not bad. <laughs> Always have been. And that was not sarcastic. I know it sounded sarcastic, but no, we really are very good at the golf. And we're getting updates to Karsten Creek, thanks to Boom Pickens, bringing the show full circle. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Believe in OK State podcast, presented by Bet Online. Like, share, subscribe, rate, review, comment, follow, all of the things. I'm Meg, joined as usual by Justin and Eve. Of course, go Pokes. Go Pokes. Go Pokes. Thank you.